Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Genesis chapter 39. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph and he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and all, of, all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So he left in Joseph's care everything he had. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was well built and handsome, and after a while his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her, or even to be with her. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, Come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, This Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Then she told him this story. That Hebrew slave you brought us came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, This is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warder. So the warder put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warder paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Good morning, everyone. It's very good to be gathered like this together with God's word before us. And uh, do keep the Bible open at that reading. It's page 43 of the Pew Bibles. And also on the way in, I hope you received a little handout like this one. It contains an outline of the sermon over the next few moments. You might find it helpful to have that to hand as we go. But let me pray for us as we look at God's word together. 
Father, as we come to this wonderful story, we recognize the danger that because it's so famous and familiar that we might switch off. And so, Father, we ask this morning that you give us hearts that are humble and ready to listen. And would you open our eyes to understand something afresh of your faithfulness? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And so imagine tonight you have some spare time and you're flicking through your Facebook feed. If Facebook's not your thing, then imagine you're reading the paper and as you flick through or turn the pages, there's all the normal headlines, perhaps a few pictures of baby Archie, um, maybe a, a headline asking the question whether Spurs or um, Liverpool have made the greatest comeback in football history, uh, maybe it's something on Brexit, and then your eye catches an article that really grabs you. The one secret to being a person used by God. My guess is most of us here this morning do want to be the kind of people that God uses today in this world. We don't want to be the kind of people who are not part of God's plans and purposes. And, and so we click on the link, we turn the page to read what we discover. What do you think you would find in the article? Maybe the key is to be someone who is good with people, an extrovert, an influencer, a leader of people. Maybe it's someone with a brilliant grasp of theology, well-read, able to answer even the, the toughest questions. Maybe it's someone with a, a wonderful gift like preaching, maybe like George Whitfield or Billy Graham, able to preach to thousands powerfully. Today, we will get a, a crucial insight into the kind of person that God uses, and the answer we will see is radically different from the answers so many people think today. This morning, we are partway through our series looking at Jacob and his family. Last week, we saw Judah, who was a, a wretched rebel, restored by God's grace. This week, the camera pans around to Joseph, our, our main man. And I want to work through this famous story before spending some good time thinking through the implications for us. And so on the handout, you will see Joseph, a man used by God. So we pick up the story as Joseph arrives into Egypt. He is bought by Potiphar, who is clearly a an important and influential man in, in Egypt. And the new slave does well. He, he, does, he does very well. He is quickly promoted up to the ranks. No more peeling potatoes. He's put in charge of the master's house. Look at verse four. Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his whole household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. And, and by verse 6, Joseph is doing so well as a state manager that Potiphar cares about nothing. He leaves it all to Joseph. And it is a really impressive effort. You know, having been sold by a, into a slavery by his brothers, you can imagine Joseph sulking in Egypt, but none of that. He's busy serving really 
incredibly well. And I reckon many of us would love to have this kind of reputation in our offices, um, having that reputation of being successful in a safe pair of hands like Joseph. But in case we missed it, Joseph is not acting alone. Did you notice verse 2? The Lord was with Joseph and he prospered. Or verse 3, when his masters saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did. Or verse 5, it was the Lord who was blessing Potiphar through Joseph. This, this is God's work acting through Joseph. And this little picture of Joseph blessing a household is a foretaste of something greater to come because we know in a few chapters that Joseph will be in charge of not just a household but the nation of Egypt and there he'll be able to bless the world by providing grain in a famine. And as we read through this narrative, there is no doubt that Joseph is a man used by God wonderfully in the most impressive ways. He's a man who's far from home. He is no longer in the land of promise. He's cut off from the family of promise. And yet the Lord is with him. The Lord is everywhere. He is not bound by geographical constraints. He doesn't bless people only in certain areas or at certain times. No, even here in Egypt, he's with Joseph, helping him. And so look, it's been a rocky start, you know, being sold as a slave into Egypt, but then there's been um, promotions, blessing, a good reputation. And if we were to continue writing the story, I reckon it would go a bit like this. As the years passed, Joseph continued to impress Potiphar. His reputation spread across the royal court, and in fact, so much so that a pharaoh heard about him and asked him to join his personal staff. Joseph continued to be blessed by the Lord, and after a number of more years, Pharaoh made him charge of everything, his whole kingdom, prime minister. And in that place of power, Joseph was able to bless the world by providing food in a famine. That's how I would write the story. And I think for many Christians, when we first put our trust in God and his promises, and we first realize that God is with us by his spirit wherever we go, we write that kind of future for ourselves. So we expect that the Lord, in his kindness, will help us to have Marriages that are always happy and full of life and blessing, that our kids will grow up well-adjusted and happy in their schools, that in our workplaces, whatever we do will turn to gold, we will get promotions and a good reputation, that our health will stand up well through the years, that our lives will be marked by the Lord's presence bringing us success and blessing. If you like, if you were to draw a graph of of time versus success, it would be a, a steady curve upwards. But we know that is not how the story goes in Genesis 39. And so second, Joseph, a man tested by God. So verse 6. Now Joseph was a well-built man and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. 
He refuses impressively, but she's persistent. Verse 10, she spoke to him day after day. Verse 12, one day where no one is around, she tries again, come to bed with me. But Joseph runs away. Potiphar's wife, well, she takes it badly. She flips from being infatuated to being furious, and she uses his cloak to frame him, to spread a rumor that he's a a sex predator. And Potiphar has no choice. So verse 20, we read, Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And so Joseph, he, uh, well, he's back to square one. In fact, he's, it's worse than square one because he used to be a slave in Potiphar's house. Now he's a, a prisoner in the king's jail. He, he's gone even further down. And rather than the graph going steadily up, it's gone up for a bit and then it's nosedived terribly downwards here in prison. And it would be easy to think, where is God in all of this? Doesn't Joseph deserve a break after all he's been through? He's done all the right things. He's been impeccable in his behavior. So where is God in this nose-diving graph? Well, the answer is there for us in verse 20. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warder. Verse 23. The warder paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with him and gave him success in everything he did. Do you notice the Lord is still with Joseph? He was with him when the graph was going up, and he's still with him when the graph has gone terribly down into prison. The Lord is with Joseph. And so we have to ask the question, why does God, as he's with Joseph, allow this nose-diving graph, this terrible future for Joseph. Well, later on in the Bible, we have a very helpful commentary on this very moment in Joseph's life. It's from Psalm 105. Don't turn to it now. The reference is there in the handouts. Speaking of Joseph, the psalmist says this. His feet were hurt with fetters. His, His neck was put in the collar of iron until what he had said came to pass. The word of the Lord tested him. There's the key point for us. The word of the Lord tested Joseph. Remember, God had given him a dream about the future. Your brothers will bow down before you. That's the one promise he has to cling on to. And when the graph is going up in Potiphar's house, it's easy to think that God's plans might well be coming to pass. But as the graph nosedives down, it's much, much harder to imagine a moment when the brothers would bow down before Joseph. And so all he has to go on, well, it's not his circumstances, it's just the dream that God gave him, the promise of the future. That's all he has. And as he's chained in prison at rock bottom, he has to decide, will he trust God's word about the future? The word of the Lord tested him. Not like an exam where the outcome is a, a pass or a fail. No, the, the, the testing is here to, to reveal what's inside. 
Imagine you're going out for a walk this afternoon and in the woods you saw on the side of the path something that was glittering and you reached down and picked it up and now it was a gold ring. And imagine you wanted to work out whether it was just a cheap fake or it was actually 24 karat gold. What do you do? You have it tested to see what it's actually made of. And that's the sense here. God is testing Joseph to reveal what is inside And you learn a lot more about what's inside a person when the graph is going down than when the graph is going up. Joseph, a man tested by God and yet found to be remarkably faithful. Think of our own lives. Isn't it often true that we discover more about our own hearts our own grasp of God's promises, not in the good times when the graph is going up, but in the hard times, in the times of sorrow and of sickness and of when circumstances are against us, even though we can't see any reason why or we've done nothing wrong, that's when we discover much more about what's on the inside. Well, Joseph, even here at rock bottom, he doesn't sulk, no, he serves, still trusting God's promises, a man tested by God and yet remarkably faithful. Now, it would be very easy at this point to jump straight to ourselves and to think through how we could be faithful when tested, but we need to see one more thing about the story before we think about application. And the third point is this. Joseph, a man unlike Judah, Judah's story back in Genesis 38 is rolling along in parallel at the same time as the events of Genesis 39. They are geographically separated by hundreds of miles, but are happening at the same time. And as we read through the story, I think we're being asked to compare and contrast these two brothers. And in so many ways, there's similarities, but there are some crucial differences too. So both brothers leave the family Joseph, because he's put in chains. Judah, as an act of rebellion against God's promises. Judah pushes God away by denying Tamar offspring, whereas Joseph remains faithful when tested. Judah actively hunts out a prostitute, whereas Joseph runs away from sexual temptation. And when it comes to clothing, it seems that Joseph just can't get a break. So um, the brothers stole his nice robe and then Potiphar's wife keeps his cloak and on both occasions, his garments are used to spread a lie about him. Whereas Judah eagerly gives over his possessions to buy sex and then later on, those very possessions are used not to spread a lie about him but to confirm the truth of his guilt. And one last comparison, and this is the most important one. Look at what he says to Potiphar's wife. Look at verse 9. Joseph says, No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. Back in Genesis 2, God said to Adam and Eve that they could eat from any tree in the wonderful Garden of Eden. Remarkable generosity, except 
there was just one tree they mustn't eat from. Just one. You can have them all, but just one. And here, the language is very similar for Joseph. His master has given him everything in the household, remarkable generosity, but but there's one one thing. It's, It's the wife. Rightly so, you cannot have her. And Joseph does one thing that Adam and Eve did not do. He did not take the forbidden fruit. He runs away. Whereas Judah last week, we saw how he was ruled by his passions. He, he saw and took what he should not have taken against God's word. He was like Adam and Eve, and he's like every other human, seeing and taking, ignoring God's word, ruled by our passions. But not Joseph. And as we read these two parallel stories, I think we're meant to understand the differences. And it would be so lovely to read ourselves into the story of Joseph and say, aren't we a bit like Joseph? But if we're honest with ourselves this morning, are we not more like Judah? Are we not more ruled by our passions, seeing and taking what we want, not what God's word said we should have? Are we not those who are prone to doubting God's promises and blocking his plans for the world? Are we not those who give in to temptation rather than running away? Joseph is a man not like Judah, and dare I say it this morning, not like us. And so we come to the implications for us this morning. And you'll see on our handout, the first is this. Our desperate need for a truly faithful man. Now, Judah doesn't know it yet, but his future hangs by a thread at this point in the story. He's over here, embroiled in a wretched tale of sin and rebellion, And at the same time, hundreds of miles away, there is Joseph and Potiphar's household. And the decisions that Joseph makes decides Judah's future. Just work it through. So if Joseph had given in to Potiphar's wife, then he would not have ended up in prison. And he would not have met the baker and the cupbearer. He would not have been able to interpret their dreams. He would not have got a good reputation for being able to interpret dreams, which meant he would not have stood before Pharaoh and been able to interpret his dream, which would have meant he would not have become prime minister, which meant that he would not have supplied grain in a famine, which meant that Judah dies. And so Judah's future hangs by a thread and it all hinges on the faithfulness of his brother hundreds of miles away. His faithfulness, when tested, is crucial to the story of salvation for this family. And many centuries later, there was another man who remained faithful when tested, and through his faithfulness has secured salvation for the world. So the Lord Jesus Christ, before he began his public ministry, before he became famous, if you like, he was first tested. Remember 40 days in the desert? He was tested by Satan, Three times invited to rebel against his father, but three times he stood firm whilst tested. And then remember in the garden, on the eve of his death, as he contemplated the horrific reality of having to die on a cross to bear 
God's wrath for the sin of the world onto himself. As he thought about it, he pleaded with his father, please, if there's any other way, take this cup from me. But then he said, not my will, but yours be done. He was faithful when tested, and he died on a cross. And his faithfulness secures our salvation. If you have a Bible, do flick forward to that reference on the handout. It's Hebrews 4, which in my Bible is on page 1203. 1203 Hebrews chapter 4 and then we're at verse 15 We read For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Jesus is like us. He's been tempted in every way that we've been tempted, but he's not like us because he never gave in to sin. And when we sin and are unfaithful, look at verse 16. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Joseph's faithfulness secured the blessing of grain for seven years in a famine. The faithfulness of Jesus Christ secures eternal access into the very presence of God forever. And so when we sin, when we give in to temptation, we should look to the truly faithful man. That he was faithful when tested is crucial to our salvation. When we trust in him, he enrobes us in his perfect life and he takes onto himself the, the filthy rags of our failure and faithlessness. And that is how we are welcomed into God's presence. What kind of person does God use Well, the person who remains faithful when tested, yes, Joseph, but then most fully and wonderfully we're seeing that God used Jesus Christ to bless the world forever. That is the kind of person he uses. Look to the faithful man. But what about us? Well, yes, as we see our faithlessness, it's a call to to praise the Lord for Jesus, to trust in him for his death, for his righteousness given to us. But I think we can push it further than that because in Christ, having been saved, we are called to follow Christ, to imitate him, to be like him, to be faithful like he was faithful, not to earn our salvation, but because of our salvation. And that means that today, God is looking to use people like us who increasingly are faithful when tested, And this should mean, will mean, next, that the graph of our lives will go down as well as up. As we discover a lot more about Joseph when tested, so we discover a lot more about our hearts in those moments of the dipping graph. I've mentioned this story before, but uh, when I was at Bible college, 
in my second year, I, I got ill and I was in bed for three months. I wasn't sort of critically ill, but I was just unable to work for three months. And um, I remember finding that very hard because here was my story. I'm here to serve you, God. I've come to Bible college to learn lots of good theology to help them serve God's people for, for the rest of my life. And here I am missing classes, uh, unable to learn. Um, actually, at one point, I almost had to leave the course, which would have meant not being ordained. And I really struggled to think, well, what is, what is God doing in all of this? I still don't quite know what he's doing in all, all of it. But I do know this, that as I lay there in bed, unable to study, unable to work, I began to realize in my heart that I was proud and self-reliant. I realized that I had come to devote lots of my self-esteem to what I was able to do and achieve rather than trusting God's grace to me. And I remember one very good friend saying to me again and again, Pete, what God is looking for you today is to lie there resting that he loves you just as much when you're being laid out flat in the bed as when you are busy running around doing lots of things to serve him. Do you trust God's promise that in Christ you are loved? And I think through those three months, I had to learn something of that. Um, I couldn't do anything else. I wish I could stand here today saying that I learned that lesson as I should have learned it. I haven't. I still need to keep on learning it. And I recognize that there will be many here today who are going through far harder seasons than a few months in bed. But I think the point still stands that the Lord will allow the graph of our life to, to, to nosedive. And we often will be baffled by that. We often won't see what he's teaching us or why he's doing it. But we do know he's with us because he's with his people everywhere. And we do know that in the moments of real turmoil, what he's asking of us is to be faithful to keep trusting his promises, the gospel promises we find in the Bible. And that is our final implication. The Lord is looking for faithfulness from his people. And I think once we realize that our salvation has been won for us fully by the truly faithful man, I think we can still go back to Joseph and learn from his example of faithfulness. So to back to Genesis 39, if you flicked forward to Hebrews, do you go back to Genesis 39? So I should have said keep a thumb in Genesis 39. It's on page uh, 44 if you're hunting for it. And back in Genesis 39, just notice three things that Joseph does that I think are so helpful for us as we seek to be faithful. In verse 9, at the end he says, speaking to Potiphar's wife, how then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Joseph calls this indecent proposal from Potiphar's wife. He calls it a, a wicked thing. And I think that is so important because when we are tempted by sin, perhaps it is sexual sin, what we often try to do is to redefine the proposal. We might talk about having a bit of fun on the side or having a little bit of downtime or escapism or, or me time. But Joseph calls it a, it a wicked thing. And so if there is someone at work we find ourselves spending far too much time with, if there is an app on our phone, rather than redefining it as a bit of fun, do what Joseph did and call it what it is, a wicked thing. And of course, sex in any other context, apart from between a man and a woman, in the lifelong 
relationship of marriage is a wicked thing in the Bible, as is lust and as is pornography. But notice also what Joseph says. He says, it's a sin against God. He's a long way from home, a long way from family, and yet he knows that God is with him and that God sees what he's doing and that if he were to sin, it would be against God. God would know about it. And when we give in to temptation, there's a part of us that wants to turn down the dial on the thought that God is actually there with us in the room seeing what we do. We're like little kids who play hide and seek. You know how children play hide and seek? To be honest, they're absolutely rubbish at it. They sit in the middle of the floor in plain sight and they cover their eyes and because they can't see the adults, they assume the adults can't see them. And yet, we do that with God. We turn down the dial on the thought that God is there with us, able to see what we're doing. We, we can't see him, and so we assume he can't see us. And it helps tremendously to remember that when we sin, we are sinning against God, that he's there with us in the moment. And the next time we are tempted to sin, including in the area of sexual sin, Joseph remembers against God, he's there in the moment. Turn the dial up on that thought. Finally, notice verse 12, what Joseph does. He, he runs away. He doesn't stay around to see how strong he can be. No, he clears off. And if there is a relationship at work which is becoming more than friendship, then step away. If there is an app on your phone, delete it. Install software that helps a friend see what websites you've been looking at. It's very easy to do. Maybe leave your phone downstairs every night so that others can see where it is. Or why not sell the phone and buy one that only does texts and phone calls? I'm told they still exist. If we are serious about fighting temptation and being faithful to God, then run away. Don't hang around to see how far we can get before it breaks us. We will fail at times, and that is why we must look to the truly faithful man. But let's remember that God, he doesn't need us to be a George Whitfield or a Billy Graham to be able to use us. He's just looking for a people who are faithful when tested. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you this morning that because of the faithful life of Jesus, our future has been secured forever. We wonder this morning that we have true and perfect and eternal access into your presence because of his faithful life. And so, Father, please help us to rejoice in his faithfulness. But also, Father, please help us not to cheapen his grace. And may we be a people who long and strive to be faithful in our own lives. Father, if there are areas where we are giving into sin, where we've become comfortable with sin, would you help us to learn from the life of Joseph and Jesus, longing to be a people who are faithful when tested. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.